Hello and welcome to Cat Talks by Simpace. This podcast connects life sciences challenges with computer biology solutions by talking to the thought leaders and experts in diverse fields. My name is Dr. Fane Mansa and I'm the life sciences business director at Synthase and host of Cat Talks by Synthase podcast. You can find all our past episodes at synthase.com forward slash Cat Talks by Synthase. And don't forget to subscribe to us on all major platforms to get the latest insights and information from Synthase. Welcome, everyone. Uh, it's good that you all have been listening again. Um, really, really pleased on a new episode of Cap Talks by Synthase. And um, really, yeah, it's quite good to, to get some fresh insight into careers and computer biology and the technology that we're working with. Uh, and I've got a special guest today, Gintara Bukate, who is the senior scientist at Benevolent AI. Gintara, how are you doing today? Hi, Fane. It's lovely to connect with you. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, just to give people uh, a little bit of background. So Gintara and I, we met probably around four or five years ago. I think it was one of the careers events. And it was interesting as we both were really trying to observe what career paths you're going into. Um, I was still doing my PhD. I think you were doing your, your postdoctoral research. And um, we really connected around the area of like, yes, we've got a PhD or we're working towards a PhD, but how does the industry really look like? And um, fast forward five years, Gintara uh, and I, you've figured out what you're currently doing. You've made the transition. And I thought it would be really good to, to really come back and, and have a really discussion about your journey and your motivation uh, behind uh, the transition that you made. So again, welcome, but um, let's just kick off and start away. What was the reasoning behind you wanted to leave academia? Um, yeah, that's a great question, Fane. Um, I think it started with me not wanting to be academia even before I joined my PhD. Mm. Um, so I really wanted to do a PhD. I really wanted to get into the research, but then I I haven't been able to visualize myself as an independent researcher um, in the lab. That sounded very scary to me. That sounded like a lot of responsibility. And as I went through, you know, the rite of passage of doing a PhD, I realized that the environment in academia wasn't necessarily something that I would enjoy being in. So I really focused on looking for the out. And that's how I ended up in industry. Got it. Got it. I think it's an interesting point that you make here because I, I had the same thing. Like I wanted to do a PhD, but also at the beginning, I knew I was not going to be an independent researcher. Um, because I just thought I was hoping there was a lot more out there. Um, how, how did your journey start? Where, where do you start? Who were you speaking to? Um, obviously, we met during an event, but how, how was your journey on that? Um, yeah, so first of all, we connected in some of the events. I really tried to get out and meet people outside of my group, outside of my department, people with different interests. So I think we met in the Science Entrepreneur Club, and yeah. I've, I went to the CAB uh, launch event, I think that was a great yeah. success in the right city. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was great to see a lot of people from industry talking to PhDs, talking to academics. Um, I've also used the career services that I had at King's quite extensively. And when it came down to me pinning down what could I do if I was going to be academic because mm -hmm. I was quite lost, everyone around me, everyone who could serve as a role model academic so I tried to branch out and talk to people that I didn't have access immediately um, yeah. and slowly I mean the first job it was just taking a plunge and applying to a bunch of jobs until someone said yes to me 
<laughs> yeah. Now, what I want to touch upon a little bit is um, I think the support, as you mentioned, outside of academia was great, right? We had events, we were able to speak to people. Um, but how was that internally? Did you tell your supervisor or your colleagues? Because I have a feeling like the fear is real, right? There's a fear of going to the dark side, how they said it, always mention it to me. It's, it's, there's, like, there's a fear of like, okay, am I speaking to the right people if I want to come out? Yeah, so now, um, how was that for you? Well, I was very lucky to have an extremely supportive supervisor. And if Jim mm. is listening, hi to Jim. Because uh, <laughs> his lab had some ongoing collaborations with industry, which I wasn't part of, but he was very open about this industry being a thing, industry being an alternative pathway. And I did tell him that I wasn't considering staying in academia. He even offered me a postdoc post, and I was like, I really appreciate the offer, but I can't accept it because it would go against my career pathway. And he accepted that. He didn't punish me for any reason. He didn't treat me any less. He didn't think I was any less of a researcher just because I didn't follow his pathway. Um, and that did work out, but the conversations around not staying in academia internally within the department are quite hard because yeah. people were. Um, quite scared or maybe um, settling for a postdoc because we didn't know what was the alternative or like um, maybe applying for a few jobs but then taking a postdoc because we were scared to take that first step and we thought after the postdoc we would have more experience to do that which is a valid point sometimes it's okay to do one or two postdocs before you leave if that if you enjoy what you're doing yeah no no that's true um, so, so let's have a look at your, your first role after you've um, transitioned out of academia. Um, I think what's quite interesting in, in academia is that we've all got labels. Like my PhD was mainly around immunology, so I, I should call myself an immunologist. There are definitely some skill sets and um, probably uh, uh, certain traits that you've developed during your PhD. What were those for you where you thought like, I really need to do something around this that you say, okay, I could learn a lot in the industry because I've got this specific skill set or this specific trade? Um, there's something I probably haven't mentioned yet is that when I was working in the lab, I really enjoyed all the things that I was doing, but I've discovered that I'm quite passionate about programming and coding, which went mm. a little against my entire skill set because a very hardcore vet lab scientist that was dealing with one sample <laughs> at a time, which uh, you know didn't necessarily lead it, lend itself to all those fancy data science practices. So I've developed those skills outside of the lab. I was going to workshops whenever possible. I did online courses. I've created myself some problems and I was trying to um, do them as I went along. And the third job that I had, I actually worked at GSK as a senior protein expression scientist, which is remotely connected to my PhD. It's maybe 20% of my PhD work because I have a PhD in biophysics and immunology. And mm. I made some proteins in mammalian cells alongside. Um, so I saw the similarities with my PhD and I advertised myself as someone who can do protein expression, but that role really interested me because we mentioned automation in their job description. And I thought this could be my connecting point in order to eventually leave the lab, which was a thing that I wanted to do. And my 
opportunity to practice coding in an environment where things are going in a higher throughput as opposed to my PhD. Yeah. I think also what's really important is is perspective, right? And how can you develop and you already name like coding and, and automation as, as part of your next role. Yeah. Um what, what we see quite often is that when we look for um jobs in the industry, we quite focus on what we've done well in our previous life, in this case, PhD or postdoctoral research. Do you think that we less focus on the things that we'd like to develop? You mentioned coding and automation as something that you wanted to develop during your, your career. Do you think there's always a difference between how we observe those two things? Um, I think ideally you would have a combination of both there. You do things in a PhD that you really love and you don't have to ask yourself that question. But then it because we do things we have to do to finish the project in a PhD. We don't always do 100% what makes us happy. And what really helped me going to career sessions and asking myself or talking to friends is asking what am I good at, what do I enjoy doing, and what makes me happy. And these were then the skills that I tried to develop myself in. And a lot of that was troubleshooting, helping other scientists, some mentoring, for undergrads, masters that I was supervising and coding as well. All of that was centered around making my colleagues' life better, essentially. And I think if people listening there to write down the things that make them happy, as opposed to what they're good at, that could nudge them in the direction of where they would want to end up in a few years' time. Absolutely. I think that's a really good tip. Um, let's, let's go to the the transition you now started a new job at gsk um in your first initial months weeks what was a big difference for you compared to your academic work um some of the major differences of course is the scale of the organization and how small and insignificant insignificant you might feel um given the problem that you're trying to solve it's not bad because you know you have the support of your team to help you. Uh, but at the same time, it's really, really different from you being in charge of a project and you driving the project. So these are like some of the major differences. But with that comes more flexibility and better work-life balance. Um, people say thank you in industry more often, <laughs> which was <laughs> quite hard to accept because yeah. um, People don't say thank you in industry, in academia, sorry. Um, that's just not a thing. Um, I could yeah. carry on, but it's the way people look at a job. It's a job, um, which was something I was looking for. And I accepted the fact that if I get to do what I enjoy and I get um, the reward for it and I get the team to work with that I really enjoy working with, that really outweighs the other benefits that academia might give. Yeah, you mentioned that reward, and I think that's that's a really important thing when you go for a new role or, or basically try to express yourself in a new environment. Um, in academia, your reward is different. It's publications, it's getting grant funding. Um, how is that in an industry setting? What are the rewards there for you in your initial first couple of years? Um, well, if we look at academic rewards, and I was a really um, poor scientist because I've only made done one publication, so I couldn't even consider be, <laughs> becoming a, um, a postdoc, you know. 
um, in academia, you might get a little thank you reward, which is, you know, maybe like a small monetary reward for helping your colleague because your colleagues could nominate you for you being a good coworker. That was very surprising and a very, very nice gesture. Um, mm. Of course, you have salary reviews, you have bonuses, but also you have the appreciation. You do grow as an expert in the field. Uh, people will turn to you to ask questions. And a difference that, like some of the biggest misconceptions that I had about industry was that I will be told what I need to do. Then mm. it was the opposite. People were asking me how to do something because we trusted that I had a PhD, I knew how to think on my feet, and therefore they were okay with giving me the task without giving the steps. They were just expecting the outcome. And that yeah. wasn't much different from academia, really. No, that's true. That's true. Interesting, interesting. Um, when, when you were at GSK and uh, you've obviously learned a lot of stuff, you've seen new things, um, you were building up your, I would call it, I'll say the backpack of, of knowledge that you probably want to fill as much things in there to then eventually land your, your dream job. Um, how was that journey? Were you looking at stuff in the sense of like, okay, I need to get this experience and then move on? Um, do you think like, okay, I might stay for X amount of years because I feel really comfortable with it? Um, because obviously yeah, you landed another job in industry as well. Um, how, how, how did you navigate that? Um, that's a very good question. And I think I had um, an end goal of where I wanted to get. And I knew that in the job that I had a GSK, no matter how much I enjoyed it, like I really loved it. I loved the team. I loved what I was doing. but it wasn't the satisfaction that I wanted. I felt something was still missing and I couldn't um, express myself or explore the things in the area that I wanted to go. So I was very open about it to my manager. My manager gave me as much freedom as possible um, in the area of coding. I have shown him how simple scripts could really empower scientists and we have large amounts of data to process. So he was extremely happy about it. But at the same time, I had to do my main job, which was working in the lab, which wasn't necessarily something that I enjoyed. So I kept an eye open for companies that are maybe smaller, more developing, that you end up doing things um, really outside of your comfort zone. So that's how I came across Lab Genius, And I thought that they are really unique and interesting company because we merge the AI and ML and data science together with biotech. And because I wanted to go into that direction, it looked like a perfect opportunity for me to try and get in there because I thought there's definitely going to be data scientists. There's definitely going to be software engineers, like people I can just turn around in the office and ask them a question because in a big organization, software engineers or data scientists most of them were working in a different country. So yeah, it yeah. was quite hard for me to learn the key skills I wanted to learn because the people I was surrounded in, we didn't have those skills. It was again, yeah. the same academic problem there. I was getting closer, but I wasn't in the right environment or the skills I wanted to learn. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's you done in academia, gone to Big Pharma, and now you're going into like an emerging biotech company. Like for me personally, 
I would say that's that's quite a good experience to have, right? Those three areas. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what were your thoughts around that as well? What, what was your motivation to to go into like a smaller company? Obviously, you mentioned the, the specific skill set, but what else did you really look out for a smaller company that could really, again, going back to your back package, really fill those skill sets to 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 really continue your journey? Um. I wanted to be surrounded by people that had similar passions. And when you go to a very specialized startup, most of the times your views will align with your colleague views, which may mm. not always be true in a big pharma organization. Yeah. Uh, because people come from different backgrounds. They may have been there for a while. Um, there might be some reluctance for change, but there's also huge innovations that happen in big pharma. You can't say one thing or another with 100% truth, it's always a mix of everything. But I felt that going into a place where you sort of like uh, driving a train, but you're also putting the train tracks at the same time mm. would really push me to learn the skills I wanted to learn because there would have been no other way rather than just getting in yeah. there and doing it. And yeah. I could have stayed at GSK. I could have stayed there for another two years, but I felt that I would have only gotten deeper into the role that I didn't see myself doing long-term. And I just decided to cut it short and transition because the first job that you get after PhD doesn't have to be the job that you will always be doing. Yeah. It's really hard to get the first job. It's very hard and it can be soul crushing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that it was easy yeah. um, because I was also looking for a job in the middle of pandemic and I didn't know if the jobs will still exist for scientists, but yeah, here we yeah, are. That's, um, yeah, that's true. I, someone always told me like, you need to cut, you need to kiss a lot of ugly frogs, which in this case are perhaps companies that you, that you've worked with to really land that dream job. And it looks like this is a similar thing that you've seen where you obviously got the experience. It's not that it, ugly as a frog um, but you need to find your prince or your princess that eventually makes you feel really comfortable and i think that's that's, that's a really important thing to to have in the, in the back of your back of your mind um what's really interesting is that uh the way you in the previous conversation you mentioned how you got uh your your job in, in, in lab genius which was quite unique and i think it's a great story that definitely our listeners need to to to, uh, to, to hear as well because it goes back to the point around how can you be yourself and how can you be unique and have an impact for a company. So I'd love for you to, to just explain to us what happened, how you landed your, your job at, um, at LabGenius. Um, of course. So I had my eyes on LabGenius for a while. Um, I haven't told you, but I actually applied to LabGenius at the same time when I was applying at GSK. I knew they existed. I was mm -hmm. very intrigued by the technologies we were building. So I always kept my eyes on them. And then I saw a job opening that was remotely, just remotely similar to what I wanted to do. I submitted my CV and I wrote a cover letter and the recruiter actually got back to me uh, saying that the role that I applied to may not be the best fit, but there's another role that could fit in slightly better. So I sent my CV through and I got at, in the early stages of the interview and 
because I knew that I wanted to learn coding, I knew that I wanted to leave the lab eventually. These were the skills that I was really focusing on. I had programming experience on my CV when I was applying to the lab-based role because this was something that I really wanted to highlight and I wanted to make the um, hiring managers aware that there are people like me who are passionate about science, who are passionate about programming, and maybe they haven't considered that they would benefit from someone like that, but mm. bridging the gap between the wet lab and the dry lab is a really valuable skill, as I've learned having having done that now. So I've um, I've had interviews, but essentially the only reason I was hired was because I was advertising myself as someone who loves coding. And there was another candidate who got hired as well for the same role, who was an exceptional scientist. And we were, even though there was just one opening, the um, company felt that we couldn't miss out for yeah. the person that I was advertising myself to be, rather than me trying to fit the job description perfectly. So it was, it was a risky gamble, but at the end of the day, I had a job anyway so i thought i could go out and explore without losing too much which might be a scary thing to do when you're in your final months of phd and you you really just want and need a job yeah so if i'm understanding this correctly you literally created a own your own job or new role as part of a interview process for a specific role that you applied for is that correct that would describe it <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's that's um, quite remarkable, right? And it's quite unique, and I think it's motivation for everyone, um, because what, something that I always this this is something that I always say to people when we when I talk about careers, and I think you can definitely appreciate that as well. Is that once we've got we've all got PhDs in the area that we're in, right? And there's very little that sets us apart from that. Um, like if you look into the outside world, you can go outside now and then. Your family and friends will be so proud because you got PhDs. But in the industry, there's everyone has got PhDs. Everyone has got very good degrees. Everyone's really smart. Uh, but it is about setting yourself apart, right? It is about how am I different than the other person? And I think what you just mentioned around your coding and scripting and being a bridge between wet lab and dry lab is a really strong, unique feature that has really landed you success. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure if everyone feels like that. And I'm not sure how, why you did it or how was it just something that came into you? Um, because it's not easy to do so. Right. No, it's, it's very cringe <laughs> to go and try and convince the hiring manager that we need you and we need you for reasons different than was advertised at the job description. But on the other hand, you have nothing to lose. If this is what you feel you want to do, if you don't ask for it, you will not get it. This is a huge lesson that I've learned in industry. You have to have your manager's back, but also you need to be very open about what is it that you want to do, because otherwise you might get interpreted differently. You might be misunderstood. You might be very good at the thing that you don't necessarily enjoy, and you might get really sucked into it because you're you're so good at it and you never protest that fate. Yeah, Stop yeah. a second. Maybe I don't want to be continuously doing flow cytometry. I like analysis of flow cytometry, but I don't like the experiment itself. Is there anything we can do to work around that? And I found that 
this openness and open collaboration with your manager really helps if you're looking to shape your career in any way that doesn't necessarily follow the traditional lab scientist role for instance yeah yeah you you phrase it really well shaping your career and and i do think scientists can shape their careers but does it always have to be around the science does it always have to be around the expertise that you've done your phd with um no and you've you've shown exactly the why in, in certain circumstances it's even beneficial to be that disruptive and different and give your own twists around a specific role um do you think that is something that is more appreciated in a emerging biotech setting rather than a pharma setting where they're looking for someone specific well i feel like in biotech they love that different-minded person that can add something different to a company that is a good question i think it really depends on a role i can't answer with complete confidence that it's one way or another but there's definitely a lean for people that are risk takers that you would see in smaller emerging startup environments because this is the mindset that you have to have Hmm. versus in pharma things are extremely regulated they are slow for a reason because you you are developing a drug that will go into patients you really need to do your due diligence and it, it really needs to take that long so there's different ways that people are comfortable with working and you would end up with different characters in different types of industries. Um, But again, it's not always true because you might have a very disruptive team leader in industry that's really driving that innovation. But we also have then other people that are regulating them and making sure they don't go rogue. So it's, it's a mix of everything. Yeah, yeah. We we talked uh, I think the last half an hour a lot about the career and um, the the your experiences and how you jumped in from academia into pharma into uh, emerging biotech company. But I want to touch a little bit around the problem that you really love to solve as a, a scientist engineer. I don't even know what to name you because you got so so many heads on. Um, what, what is the specific what is the specific problem that you think? you would like to solve in the industry um, and I think that's a good entrance into what you're currently doing now but yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts around the problem that you think we're facing and that uh, you think a lot of more scientists people that are listening here could could really there's a gap let me just say that right um, so I've noticed even from when I was doing my PhD that I really enjoyed helping other scientists to get to their problem solution so that was those troubleshooting sessions or giving them advice or maybe fixing them up with some tool that really grew in my time at GSK where I was coding for others where people might have a problem that might require, you know, going through an Excel sheet that has thousands of thousands of rows in order Mm -hmm. to pick certain things out. And it's relatively simple to do if you're not afraid of touching, you know, Python and Jupyter notebooks. And it was an emerging theme that I really enjoyed seeing how I can improve someone else's life, but in a way that it was very close to me. So it was my colleagues. And I am passionate about the health and life industries. That's why I work in this field. But also 
I feel that scientists themselves can be quite neglected and we can be left to their own tools and devices that could be a little outdated. And today yeah. I work as a data management specialist at Benevolent AI. So for that role, I work in a team that's called Discovery Enabling Team. So even the team's name has a word enabling in it. And it means that we exist to support the scientists, which I didn't know I wanted to do that role. I didn't know that role existed, but I mm -hmm. fell into it and it just feels right. And one of the things that I had to accept at some point that I didn't feel that I wanted to prove myself as a scientist. I didn't want to discover something. I didn't want to invent something. I just wanted to make myself useful. And then yeah. it came um, with the fact that, okay, if that's what makes me happy, I need to find a role that allows me to do that. And that was paired with my interest in coding and hence I have this role. Awesome, yeah. And it, it speaks quite well to uh, the cap talks. We, we talk about new technologies. We talk about enabling science. We really want to push life sciences R&D forward with technology that we uh, that we basically have to our disposal around us. Um, what is your experience with the tools that you're currently using? Um, we obviously from Sinless come from a vendor perspective, but I'd love to get your thoughts around like, what are the important tools for you to enable what you just mentioned and enable the sciences? You mentioned coding, obviously, and scripting. Uh, is there anything specific that you, um, that you want to highlight? Um, a lot of the times it would be dealing with huge amounts of data and people might use certain software packages, but a lot of times that might be something very extremely tailored to what we're doing. Let's say you're doing some um, design of experiment or you're changing some conditions, but you're in a small lab. So you might want to use coding to quickly visualize your data. And this is what I was doing for quite a while in uh, Lab Genius, where I help scientists to sift through the data um, by writing code for them so that we didn't need to sit in Excel sheets. Um, and I see this, I used to see this quite a lot in especially big companies there. Um, there's a lot of legacy um, tools that people use that have been around for a while, but they and we do have value, but eventually we will need to be upgraded. So there needs to be a new generation of people that really want to uh, try to adapt as much as possible. I went to a conference recently that was called Future Labs, and I heard all about, um, like, I met people from Lab Voice who were on your podcast um, a few episodes yeah. ago. That's really amazing. It's mind-blowing that you can talk to your ELN. Um, and ELNs and databases and data centralization are things that are really um, central to drug discovery. And I feel that we can also look at this, how can we make this even more convenient for a scientist? What can we do so that we don't have to scribble things down on a piece of paper and then go back to their laptop and transfer this to an ELN? Is there a way that things can be connected? Can we connect scales to an ELN so that whenever they weigh something, it gets recorded. Yeah. These are really the problems that I'm passionate about that could enable seamless 
research in a way that writing up didn't feel like a huge faff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And going back to the academia story, I think there's, there's a lot of masking of, I don't know, a specific process. I think everyone wants to be the expert. Everyone wants to be uh, the one that can tell you everything about a specific pathway or process. Um, but when it comes to all these new technologies that we're now embracing, I do feel we need to be more, a little bit more open in the sense of, okay, I am doing it the wrong way, or um, I am open to listen to new technologies or, or new ways of doing things. Um, is that also something that you see happening more and more in, in, in industry that we're now looking into these technologies and embracing them more because we appreciate that we shouldn't be writing on paper. We appreciate that we need more streamlined ways of working. Um, yeah, definitely. So the labs uh, where I have worked at, so I guess my current role, I am no longer a lab-based scientist. I'm working in the office. So I can't really speak for that experience. Uh, but at my previous two companies, you, I mean, Lab Genius was really cutting edge platform where we integrated as much automation as possible. So it was rethinking the way the lab work is done so that yeah. the scientists could stand back and get their time back in order to think about the research rather than think about backpacking. And at GSK, there, there are tons of great initiatives to automate certain processes, but because it's so big, everything has to wait for turn, if that makes sense. Uh, so you might yeah. have a contrast of certain departments being really cutting edge and some of them um, still being modern, but waiting for that disruption to happen um, because it just hasn't been returned yet. And it's, it's really interesting to see how all of this is happening and every scientist is asking a question, how can I do my job better? Yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's um, commanding of what is the best way of doing something, but I meet a lot of people that are looking for ways to improve their productivity, that are looking for ways to be better at the job, for ways to get some time back that wasn't necessarily preoccupied with manual liquid handling or writing up, where you just do entries into a ELNs or databases. So that is somewhat different from academia. There, mm. I had a paper um, lab book and I was sticking my gel pictures <laughs> in there and that was, I think I even we've still all done that. It, yeah. it feels like a relic now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all done that. No, that's, that's, that's true. Um, it's really interesting that the, the steps that you've taken and it's quite admirable that to see that it looks like you've got a lot of confidence in, in going through and navigating yourself through those processes. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what it is that gave you that confidence to open up, be disruptive and be different? Um, it's definitely a fake it till you make it kind of scenario. And <laughs> when, I've, when I've started my PhD, I felt that everyone had an answer with me that everyone knew what was happening, that the problem that I was trying to solve was already solved, and I will mm. have to come up with an answer and compare it to, you know, the textbook it was answer. already out there. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, surprise, wasn't the case of a PhD. Uh, but I couldn't help but feel like that. And when I appreciated that everyone feels like that, 
and it took me even towards my PhD to appreciate what even my supervisor doesn't know everything. That was, you know, really um, a glass shattering moment that you know that the person teaching you isn't an expert in something. So I've accepted that I'm not an expert in something. So that allowed me mm. to go out and ask for help because yeah. everyone is just a human. Everyone is trying their best. And it comes with appreciating and identifying the gaps that you don't know. But the thing that has helped me when I'm feeling down is telling myself that I have a track record of not messing things up. Somehow <laughs> things do work out. So even yeah. though I'm panicking, it doesn't necessarily mean that this situation is going to be the situation that I'm revealed as an imposter because I haven't been revealed in the past. So maybe, yeah, maybe it will work out. And um, it really helps when you have a good support network. It helps when you're open with your friends and your family, with how things are going and it's just venting and ranting and having a coffee with your colleagues and talking it out. It's really helpful and it then makes you realize that everyone's in the same boat. It's giving encouragement to your colleagues because you would give them a push. You would tell them that's very great researcher. Yeah. And it's very likely that it's also true about you. They're being very, very hard on ourselves, but we are a very niche and narrow group um, in in a society really we are surrounded by some really really brilliant and smart people and it's not always the case in the entire workforce um, yeah. you meet people from all backgrounds and everyone is brilliant in their own way but i think we somewhat suffer by comparing each other and yeah. if you can just allow yourself to focus on what makes you happy and accepting that, no, I cannot be best at all of these techniques. I cannot publish more papers. I cannot get every single grant. I cannot get a promotion every single year because yeah. there's other things to enjoy. Absolutely. No, great lessons, great lessons. I'm just listening here and I'm just taking everything in because I, I can't agree more on, on what you just mentioned. And it's just great to see the, uh, yeah, the, the experiences that you've gained throughout those challenging, um, challenging times and then finding a new job and then landing it and getting adapted to it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just great to hear. Um, Gintara, I think we covered a lot of great topics and I really wanted to thank you for, for sharing everything with us. Um, I just, just a final thing, like you five years back, because I, I just looked at my LinkedIn uh, messaging. I think we connected around 2018 or so. So that was like four years back um, at the start of your journey. Um, is there something that you would have done different compared to what you've done now, if you look back four or five years ago? I haven't really thought about that, Finn. Thanks for asking. Yeah, um, I was serious. Just, just curiosity. Um, I've, I think I would still carry out the same because I've learned what I don't like. Yeah. And I've learned what I like. And I, otherwise, I would have always asked myself, what if? But I've given myself time to explore myself in the lab, to really convince myself that maybe this isn't something that I'm the most comfortable with. And I'm, I'm really glad for that. 
I would maybe have tried to be slightly more proactive and mm. I would have had the courage to you know, randomly message people on LinkedIn and <laughs> ask about their careers, yeah. which when you're on the other side looks completely reasonable. But when yeah, you're a PhD yeah. student, it seems very scary. But the worst thing that can happen is that we're not going to reply to you. That's yeah, that's true. all. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I'm quite happy that I took the route I I did because, quite frankly, I wouldn't have the job I have if I haven't gone through all of this. That's true. Because yeah, yeah. we. The company was looking for someone with lab experience. The company was looking for someone who could talk the science language to scientists in the lab. And if I haven't been there, I wouldn't have the job I enjoy doing now. Absolutely. I agree with that. Okay, Yintara, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, for our listeners, um, go follow Yintara on, on LinkedIn as well. There's a lot of interesting posts around career opportunities uh, that she's sharing about. And uh, yeah, share your experiences with her as well. And I'm pretty sure that she'd be open to, uh, to listen and perhaps give you some advice because I've learned a lot today. Um, so thank you again. And thank you for everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us on all major platforms and we'll see you next time. Thank you.